Please be seated. If you're an elementary aged kiddo, you can head out these doors and turn to the right and go to your class. And if you're a middle school aged kiddo, you can do the same, although go to different classes because uh, you won't be at the same place. So, well, happy, uh, happy St. Patrick's Day. Um, I don't really know why we celebrate St. Patrick's Day. I, I, uh, I'm not exactly sure. I don't think they do it in Ireland, so I don't know why we do it here. But um, I guess it's fun. You get to wear green and pinch each other. And um, I'm sure there's a lot of hungover people today. Maybe not here, but in, in America. If you are hungover here, I'm sorry. We have coffee. Um, it, it will be okay. Drink a lot of water. So, um, and, uh, but it does remind us that a guy named Patrick was a real person, you know, and he was... Um, he was a, a, a Welsher of Britain and who was uh, captured by Irish pagans and found a way to escape in Providence and return back to his home. And then the Lord called him back to the land of his captors. And he took the gospel to the people who had enslaved him. And uh, it's a remarkable reminder of the, the man that he really was. And if you, I just encourage you to dig into some history with him. Um, it isn't really about you know, magical things or whatever. It's about the, the power of the Holy Spirit working through the life of a, of a normal person willing to follow him. So um, if you know how many chapters are in the book of John, there are 21 and uh, we are starting the last chapter today. So we started this journey back on February 5th, 2017. And um, I don't know, I'm sure it's a lot of things have happened in two plus years, but um, a lot has happened. Jeez. But we are coming to the end of our journey through the book of John. And it's been a wonderful time, and we've really enjoyed it, and, but boy, there's a lot in there. I would, um, I want to issue one encouraging challenge, if you would like, as we go through this last chapter, and I think we're going to be in here about another three or four weeks total, and uh, then we'll be done with John. If you want to, try to read the Gospel of John this week. So there's 21 chapters, right? If you read three chapters a day... That's going to be about 15 to 25 minutes, depending on how fast you read. And uh, if you read three chapters a day in a week, you'll read the whole book. And in doing so, I think it'll give you a really good picture of the structure of John. Like we've kind of taught through that, but over two years, you kind of miss so much of it. So if you want to go back and read John this week, three chapters a day, start today. If you start today, you'll end Saturday. If you start tomorrow, you'll end Sunday morning. But um, I challenge you to just read through the book. And uh, if you've never just sat and read through a book or just sit and read through it all in one sitting, like that would be awesome. So, um, but I think what it will do is it will help give you a, a, a really great context for the book and a feel for the book. And you'll remember some of the things that we've preached and learned. So go for it. Try to read the book of John this week, three chapters a day. But John is a story. And like all great stories, it, uh, it has to come to an end or at least we're going to have to turn the page to the book of Acts if you're reading the Bible. But this story is going to come around to a place where it started at the very beginning. When Jesus was teaching and he met some guys who were fishermen. And they were spending the night failing really hard at their job. And he comes to them and he talks to them and he has them throw out a net and they catch a bunch of fish. It's going to come back around to Jesus talking to some guys who've been failing all night. And he's going to ask them to do some things and they're going to see his amazing provision for them. So with that, let's, um, let's pray and then let's jump into John chapter 21. We'll start in verse 1. Lord, we, we love you. 
Um, not because we can comprehend the fullness of who you are, not just because of what you've done for us, although we are grateful for what you've done for us. We, we love you for who you are. To, to know you, Lord, even minutely is to be overwhelmed with your love for us and to love you in return. That is why we were created, to be loved by you and to love you in return and to have your life manifested through us in how we live our daily life. We come to you this morning as people, real people with real hearts and real brokenness, Lord. And I thank you that you invite us to come to you. Would you help us understand your word today? Would the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable and pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer? As we sit here getting ready to read and study the word, Pray and ask the Lord to teach you what he wants you to know, to be brave enough to bring your brokenness to him and ask him to teach you something today. Think about someone you met coming in today. Think about the person in front of you whose name you don't know. Think about as we say all the time around here, we need to be in the habit of praying for other people. Pray that the people around you would, would learn what they need to learn today and would understand better the Lord's great love for them and better who they are in the Lord. We thank you for the great, great privilege of having the Bible in front of us, of, of worshiping our creator. And we ask you to help us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So here we are in John 21. And um, the context, right, is we've had the, 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 the story from the, from the very beginning of John and we've worked through and we've seen the life of Jesus, these miraculous signs that he gave that attested to his testimony about himself and the things that he was saying. We've seen his his substitutionary death that was the, 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 the opened the door to salvation for all people. We've seen his incredible resurrection and he's risen to newness of life and he's shown us what it means to be truly human. And now this is coming to a close. As we've said over and over and over and over and over again, uh, this John gives this the reason for his book in the last two verses of chapter 20 where he says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. If you don't get anything else from the book of John or anything else from today or anything else from 85 sermons, get that Jesus is God and that by believing on him, you have eternal life. That's the point. Like if you get that, A plus, well done. If you don't believe that, you are not a Christian. And you need to believe it and be saved. So this is the point of the book. Jesus is the son of God. He is the Messiah sent to save us. And that by believing on him, we have life in his name. And with that little explanation in John, he moves on to chapter 21 where he says this. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened by this way, or it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. 
I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. And he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards off. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore, and it was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. All right. So it says afterward, we don't know how long afterwards, sometime between when he met with Thomas and the first chapter of Acts, right? So it was 50 days between the, the resurrection and, and Pentecost. And so somewhere in this 40-day probably period, I assume it's soon afterwards. I don't know. It doesn't say. But Jesus, is said, appeared or manifested himself again to his disciples. Some other versions might say um, he made himself visible. The idea is that Jesus wasn't there and then he was there. And I, I don't think that he probably maybe walked there. Uh, is this language, you know, it just indicates that Jesus is dealing with the world in a different way than he was before. He's appearing behind locked doors. Uh, Jesus in his resurrected body is very different from Jesus in his non-resurrected body. And it's little glimpses for us into what we have to look forward to when we will be resurrected like Christ. But he manifests himself or shows himself, appears again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, which is the Gentile name for the Sea of Galilee. Just another hint that John was writing this book to the Gentiles. And it happens in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, who we know, Nathaniel, who's also called Bartholomew, He's from Canaan, Galilee. We remember, uh, remember Nathaniel and Philip from way back in chapter 2 in John. And the sons of Zebedee, who are James and John. John, the guy that wrote this book. And two other disciples. It doesn't say who they were. Um, it doesn't say, but I, I assume it's Andrew, who is Peter's brother, and Philip, who is Nathaniel's brother. But it doesn't say. I don't know. Maybe Matthew, the tax collector, wanted to go fishing. I have no idea. It doesn't say. But Peter says, I'm going to go fish. And they said, well, we'll go with you. And so they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. So apparently it was, it was common practice for the fishermen to go out and fish at night. I don't know why, but I guess, I don't know, maybe they used lanterns and the fish came to the light. I don't know. But apparently it was common to fish overnight. And they go out there and they don't catch a dadgum thing. A lot of commentators, uh, really wonderful commentators, have kind of, I think, condemned or given them a hard time saying they weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing because Jesus, a few verses before, has already given them this mandate, you know, go as the Father sent me, I am sending you. And then he's kind of told them to wait for him and to meet him on the mountain later. Well, Peter, Lord love him, he's not a waiter, you're right, he's a, he's a doer. And so I, I don't know, he was a fisherman by trade, maybe he's just earning some money. 
Maybe he's just feeding his family. I have no idea. I do know that this microphone is about to fall off my ear and I need to get it on there. So it normally works great, but it gets kind of wonky sometimes. I'm going to pause here and try to fix it. Um, but Peter, there's no indication here that Peter and the disciples are being in any way disobedient by going fishing. Okay. So I kind of want to make that point clear. And Jesus also, he doesn't get onto them or rebuke them or condemn them for going fishing which is an important point I think that we see. If, if Jesus doesn't get onto him, we probably shouldn't either. So I'm gonna roll with Jesus on this one. I guess I should probably roll with Jesus all the time, but I don't always do that. So, so they come up and they don't catch a single thing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. Why? I, probably because it was early. Apparently uh, people were having a hard time recognizing Jesus right off the bat, but they don't recognize that it's Jesus. And he calls out to them, he says, friends. Uh, some of your version may say children. The real world there is, is children, but I don't think like an affectionate children. Probably the, a, a good translation would be like the British lads or our, like, hey, boys, like that sort of an affectionate calling out to them. He's like, hey, boys, catch any fish? And then it just says, no, comma, they answered. It's this um, collective answer. They answered, not no Peter answered or not no John answered, but they all answered. And if you were... Have you ever asked a frustrated person an obvious question? They're not always super chipper about their answer. And I, I don't, I may be reading into the text here, but I kind of feel like Jesus is on the shore and they're about a hundred yards out on a boat. They're exhausted. They've been there all night. They're working. They've got, accomplished absolutely nothing. And this guy walks up. They don't know who it is. And he says, hey boys, catch any fish? And they just all at the same time go, no. No, I didn't catch any fish. Oh gosh, no, I didn't catch any fish. Jeez, Louise, why are you asking me? But it just says no. I think it kind of reflects their frustration. So he, he hollers out to them, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some, which is a ridiculous thing to say to a bunch of fishermen. I mean, like they haven't, like they didn't notice the right side of the boat all night. I doubt they've just been throwing it on the left. But he says, throw it onto the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. So then the disciple comes to Jesus, uh, who loved Jesus, this is John, and he says to Peter, it's the Lord. It's interesting you get these interactions between the disciples. I mean, these are real people. Peter was probably older than John, but if you remember back to when the disciples were first called, Peter and Andrew were brothers, and they have a fishing company, and Zebedee is one of their partners, and Zebedee has two sons, James and John. So John and James and Peter and Andrew have fished together for a long time, so they're used to fishing together. They know each other. But then they bring in the fish and John looks up to Jesus and says, it's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wraps his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumps into the water. Um, so what the outer garment was, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't think Peter's out there fishing naked. Although, man, if you Google this, people think that maybe he was. I don't. Peter's probably in like a, some sort of undergarment and he had a linen on top and he grabs it and throws it on so that. I don't know, so we'll have it when he gets to shore. I don't think Peter's thinking through the process right now. He's just getting into the water. But he had taken some clothes off as he was working, and he jumps right into the water. And of course, he totally leaves the fish, right? Peter, the fisherman, just, he jumps right off the boat. And the other disciples follow in the boat. I mean, you can just see John's like, hey, it's the Lord. And then Peter dives in the water, and John's like, oh, all right, I'll bring the fish in, Peter. You just swim on. 
And they all bring in the boat, towing the fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. When they land, what do they see? They see a charcoal fire with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, hey, bring some of the fish you have just caught, which is an amazing thing for him to say because there's already fish there, right? So Simon Peter climbs aboard and drags the net ashore, and it was full of large fish. This, the detail, 153, I mean, they counted how many fish there were. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus says, come and have breakfast. And nobody asked him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. And Jesus comes and he takes the bread and he gives it to him and he did the same with the fish. And you get this, imagine all these guys have been through, right? They, have, they get called to be disciples as fishermen. And they go through this unbelievable journey with Jesus. They see miracles. They see, they live for three years with this guy. And they see him miraculously produce bread and fish, right? I mean, do you think all these things are flooding back to them? All of these memories, all of this time they spent with him, and here they are with bread and fish again, eating breakfast together. And it was the third time he appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Just once again, solidifying the reality that Jesus had visibly and bodily appeared to the disciples. That these guys, it wasn't just some one-off, that he had appeared to them, manifested himself, shown himself to them, that they knew who he was, that he had raised from the dead. And it just solidifies their testimony about Jesus. So what do you do with this story? Um, you know, Peter, one of the things I, I, love, I love with him is that he's just, Peter's like a raw guy, right? I, uh, if any of you guys know our, our, um, our family, we have a little nine-year-old Peter in our life. And uh, he's, he's a jump off the boater, man. He's a, he is a run and go, and he's a ready, fire, aim. He's just unbelievable. And Peter is this, he is brave, and he is caustic, and he is uh, um, unthinking sometimes. He is a coward at the same time. He's all these things that I am. And yet he loves, loves, loves the Lord Jesus. And so we see him on this boat and all these other guys on this boat. And we see this interaction that they have with the Lord. And Jesus walks up and the first thing he asks them is not, how are you doing? He doesn't say, are you hungry? He doesn't say anything other than, haven't you any fish? Now, Jesus knows they have no fish. He's not over there going, oh man, I want to make breakfast. And if they don't have fish, I'm going to have to make some out of nowhere. Um, that is not the problem for Jesus. And it says a charcoal fire, right? Like a charcoal fire takes a while to make. I assume that Jesus, maybe he made a fire. Maybe he just like made a fire, right? Not like we make a fire. But there's a charcoal fire and bread and fit. Maybe he brought it in a bag. It doesn't say. But Jesus doesn't need to know if they actually have fish in the basket or not. That's not his. Why does he ask them that question? Well, what were they doing? They were fishing. And anybody who's ever fished, generally the point of fishing is to catch a fish, right? My kids get really frustrated. They ask me, why is it called fishing when we're not catching anything? 
Uh, it's, 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 why do we call it catching or not catching? I'm like, well, it's just it's still fishing. Fishing does not mean catching. Fishing means you're trying to catch the fish. And so, uh, and I love just throwing the thing in. If I don't catch anything and it's quiet, it's beautiful, you're out in nature, it's lovely. That's not what these guys are doing. They're not out, I think, having, going fishing with a cane pole and sipping sweet tea. They're out trying to earn money. It's their li- livelihood, and they're, if they don't catch fish, they don't eat. And so to work all night and not make what you need is frustrating. So Jesus asks them this question that peers right into the heart of their frustration and their failure. Do you have any fish? And what he's really asking them is, are you being successful? Have you done what you set out to do? And it's a obviously a rhetorical question, but they answer it. Maybe it's not rhetorical. When they answer him no, they're confessing their failure to Jesus. Now, what's interesting is they don't know it's Jesus yet. I don't know if maybe they think it's Jesus, although it says they did not recognize him. But even when he calls out, you think they've got to be thinking, right? They hear this guy and he says, hey, you got any fish? And they say no. And then he says, throw it to the other side of the boat and you'll catch him. And they're like, hmm, that's happened before. And when they do that, they find exactly what they were needing, which is fish. See, Jesus is going to ask you and I the exact same question. I don't want you to ever think, before I say this, I don't want you to ever think that your work on earth is what earns your acceptance before God the Father. It is not, and it cannot be. How precious is the acceptance of a holy God to a condemned and sinful people? So precious that it costs the life of his son, Jesus. Nothing humanity could ever give to God could be as precious as the life of Jesus, ever. If humanity lived for a bazillion years and made lots of things and burned them and made statues and did all this worship and built temple, it would be worthless in light of Jesus. Your acceptance before God is by grace through faith in Christ alone, period, end of story. You can't earn it. And once you get that you can't earn it, you cannot maintain it either. So you don't get saved by grace and then work your way to keep up with the Lord. You're saved and you walk by grace, which is unmerited favor toward us. So remember that. Having said that, how we live and what we do matters. We will come before the Lord, not for judgment. It's a different, it's a, the great white throne, but we will come before what's called the Bema Seed in scripture, where Jesus will judge the work we do. And he's going to ask each one of us, haven't you any fish? I am not talking about counting people that have been saved. I've seen mission trips where 100,000 people got saved. And I don't think 100,000 people got saved. But it looks good in a newsletter. And it looks good on Twitter. And it looks good on Facebook. We went to this and, and the, we, we, we packed up and we spent more money than this entire village makes in a decade getting there. And we went there and we, we evangelized the entire village. Look, look, look how great we are. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when Jesus comes up and he says, did you accomplish what I wanted you to do in life? Did you do that? 
Did you love me? Did you love your neighbor? Did you preach Christ? Did you make disciples? Did you do that? The, the, the disciples answer, the seven that are sitting on these boats are on this boat. Their answer is no. We don't have any fish. Yeah, Jesus looks directly into their failure. He speaks directly into their frustration. These guys have been literally up all night. When was the last time you, you were up all night working? I don't mean pulling a one-nighter in college when, it was, when you were like 19 and your body could do it. I'm, like, I'm 42, and if I stay up all night, by the time morning comes around, <laughs> not happy. And if you fueled yourself on caffeine all night, you still feel awful, even if you are just alert. They were exhausted. They were frustrated, and they were failures. I heard this, um, I heard this thing called the, uh, um, the failure of the experts, because they're fishermen, right? And we have experts that come and know that they're very good at something, and then they go and do the thing that they think they're very good at, but they're totally failing. And so when Jesus comes to ask them the question, are you, do you have any fish? What he's really asking them is, are you doing what I told you to do? And part of the reason for that is, is, is what happens earlier in the story. We're gonna, I'm going to jump back into Luke chapter 5. You're welcome to join me, but I'm just going to briefly kind of skim over that story. So I want to give us the context for this story. So Luke 5, starting in verse 1. So Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is the, the lake that we're on right now. Actually, it's a little bit different lake, but no, it's the same lake, right? Is there a tiny lake up there? I forgot. Forgive me if I'm wrong on my geography. He's standing by a lake and they're fishing in the lake. With the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, and he sees the water's edge, two boats there with the fishermen who were washing their nets. And he goes into one of the boats and it belonged to Simon. Chances are the boat that Simon and them are in is the same boat they're in right now. And he asks him to put up from shore and he goes up there to teach. So he goes into Simon's boat. Simon's been fishing. They're cleaning his nets. He says, hey, we're going to get in the boat. Take me out so I can talk to the people. So Jesus goes out. He's in the boat. The people are on the shore. He's teaching. When he finished speaking, he says to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, master, listen, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught a, such a large number of fish that the nets began to break. So they brought another boat on to bring it, bring it home. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and says, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Was he sinful because he wasn't catching the fish? No. He was, he's sinful because he saw Christ's provision and his magnificence. And he, then he saw himself in light of that. And what does Jesus say? You're right, you sinful booger. You're going to deny me? Oh, I've got plans for you. Jesus says to Simon, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. See, Peter was good at catching fish. He had to learn to catch men. And Jesus spent a long time teaching him how to do that. See, when Peter and them are out on this boat, they get asked a really hard question. Jesus does not, every time Jesus asks a question in the Bible, I get scared. 
Because I'm like, oh, he's going to peer into something in me that only I know. He's going to ask hard questions. But whenever he asks hard questions, his response is always, come to me. See, he tells them to do something, right? He asks them a question, have you any fish? And then he says, throw out your nets. He asks them to do a ridiculous thing. And yet they do it. They throw out their net and he brings in all of these fish. See, into their exhaustion and their frustration and their failure, he tells them something simple and they do it. So it makes me think of another question that is really hard to ask, and it is this. These guys are on the boat, and what they're doing is failing. They're utterly failing at catching fish. They caught not a single fish, which I'm not a fisherman, but they throw big nets out, and I'm pretty sure they're trying to just catch more than one. Like, they want to bring net loads of fish into the boat, and they've caught zero. They're failing. So, in my own life, what am I failing at? Isn't that a fun question? Hey, I love church on Sunday. We talked about our failures. It was awesome. Um, How are you failing as a husband or wife? How are you failing as a parent in your work, in loving the Lord and growing as a disciple and loving your neighbor and preaching the gospel and growing as, 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 as a human? How are you failing as a steward? Are you stewarding your money well? Are you stewarding your body well? those are awful questions, right? I don't want to ask that question. I don't want to ask that question of me. I don't want to ask it of you either. But if we don't bring ourselves to the word of God and see what he says and then do what he says, we just end up going and doing the same thing. See, why does Peter jump off the boat? Why? Why do they throw the net on the other side? doesn't make any sense, right? Because they understand their utter failure. And so some guy says, throw your net on the other side. They're like, fine, whatever. Whatever. And they throw their net. And there's so many fish, they can't even. It's just overloads of success. Exactly what they were trying to do. But we are never more ready to obey the word of God than when we have come direct in direct uh, confrontation with our failure. When I bring my failure, when the Lord asks, do I have any fish? And I say, no, then I'm, I'm actually ready to do what he says then. Because before I'm like, you know what? I'm doing pretty good, Lord. And he says, really? Are you? Do you have any fish? What in your life is not working? And I'm not talking about a bald spot in your yard that you can't get grass to grow there. Okay, I'm not talking about uh, your car Talking about things that matter. What in your relationship with other humans is not working? Do you have a broken relationship with your parent, with your child, with your spouse? What about your relationship with work? Do you honor your employer by how you work? What about your neighbor? We live not too far from here. And um, the brave and good officers of the Oklahoma City Police Department last week um, knocked on our neighbor's door and arrested a bunch of them for doing methamphetamine in their house. 
So I really need to knock on that lady's door. I don't want to because it pisses me off that she was doing meth right next to my kids. Does she need Jesus? Yes, yes, yes. And Jesus is saying, do you have any fish? She's right next door. Knock on the door. Why won't I? Because I'm scared. Why am I scared? Because I fear what she thinks more than I fear the Lord's questions. And I'm standing in the boat, and Jesus is saying, throw out the net. And I'm going, Lord, I don't think so. And he's asking me, is what you're doing working? And I have to answer him, no. Jesus has no concern for your comfort. Do you understand that? He has no concern for your, for your financial prosperity other than in a matter that it can be used to further his kingdom. If he wants to make you rich, you can give it away. Glory to God. He does not care what model of car you drive. He does care how you love your neighbor. He does care that you walk in obedience to him. And it's hard to look at the Lord and say, I am, I'm, a, I'm a pastor and I'm terrified to knock on my neighbor's door because I'm really mad at her. <sighs> Lord, isn't that ridiculous? So what do you do? Well, you throw your net. You take what you know that you're doing wrong and you say, Lord, I'm going to do it your way. And I'm going to hurl that net onto the right side of the boat. And it is taking, confronting my failure and my fear. And it is doing what the Lord says, even though I don't want to. And even though it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Then what do you do? Well, you jump out of the boat. That's the only smart thing to do, right? Peter's jumped out of a boat twice. Once when Jesus is walking on the water and Peter's like, I'm coming. And he steps right out of the boat. And he walks for a little while until he gets worried because there's waves and it's scary. And then he sinks and Jesus saves him and comes back and says, Faith, buddy, you're going to want to have that. And then Peter, all he does is John looks at Peter. So I want you to see, right? They're on this boat. I don't know how big the boat is. Not a giant boat, but a boat. They're on this boat. They're 100 yards away, size of a football field. And they hear, see this guy. They don't know who he is. He says, hey, you've got any fish? They yell back, no. He goes, throw it to the right side of the boat. They throw it. They catch all this fish. And John, probably hauling the net up, looks up to Peter and goes, it's the Lord. Man, Peter, he just, he just runs right off the boat. He's not calculating how cold is the water, how far is it, can I swim? Mm-mm. Why? Because all Peter wants is Jesus. It's all he wants. He's actually jumping away from this miraculous provision and running toward the Lord, swimming toward the Lord. What does he find when he gets there? He crawls up on the shore, walks up on the shore, and what's, what's going on? What's there? A fire to warm him, food to fill his hungry belly, and his Savior. Oh, what a good thing to have breakfast with Jesus. He's coming cold and wet out of the water. He's like, I mean, the last, they've had a bit of a rough go, Peter and Jesus, right? Not on Jesus' end, obviously, but Peter's. He's denied him. He's seen him raised from the dead. But yet Peter just will not stay away from the Lord. Why? Because he loves him, because he knows the Lord loves him. 
and he won't stay away from him. Knowing that you're saved by grace through faith, knowing that you cannot earn God's love for you, are you doing what he says? Have you any fish? You know that it is not an accident that wherever you live and wherever you work and wherever you walk and wherever you shop and wherever you breathe, wherever you bank, wherever you are, God has you there on purpose. He's not over there going, oh man, oh, Carl went right instead of left. What am I going to do? Oh, please. Wherever you are, that's the kingdom of God. You realize that? It's walking around inside of you. I want you to imagine there's a, I should draw it on a whiteboard. I'm a whiteboard guy, but anyway. Just imagine there's a like wavy water, right? And that represents water. And underneath it is water. Up above it is the air. And on top of the water, I want you to imagine boats. Boats, right? Like fishing boats. Inside the boats, those are disciples. I want you to, those are churches full of disciples. In the water is the world. It's full of the lost. The disciples' job is to dive off the boats, dive into the water, grab the lost people, and haul them back onto the boat, and then teach them how to do that. Some churches look different than other churches. Some churches are smaller. Some are little huts. Some sing and dance when they worship. Some worship like this. Some do different. Some are different colors. Some are black churches. Some are white churches. Uh, some are brown churches. Some are mixed churches. Some churches are in cities. Some, some churches are in the jungle. All these little churches, they're all about doing the work of the gospel, right? And if you are here and you are a disciple of Jesus, you're on the boat. Pulled out of the world, transferred out of darkness into light. How are those churches supposed to grow? Is it by diving into the other boats and taking them away from the other boats? No, that's dumb. But it's, it's how we do it. We're like, oh, I'm going to grow by... That's not growth. That's just shuffling the deck. Our church is supposed to grow because we're diving into the water and we're pulling people out and we're fishing for men. Have you any fish? If you are terrified, good. It means you understand the gravity of the mission. I want you to be overwhelmed by a love for another person. I want you to pray for me that I'm overwhelmed by love for my neighbor, my drug addict, drug selling neighbor who sold drugs 50 feet from my children. I want you to pray that my heart gets soft for her and that I be overwhelmed for love for her. I want you to pray for your own heart. If you don't know an unbeliever, don't come to church next week. Go and sit at your house and look around and see who's not at church. Chances are they're not a, well, at least they're not at church on Sunday. Maybe they're going somewhere Sunday night or going to whatever virtual church, whatever that is. Go knock on their door. I would rather you be out telling somebody the gospel than getting it here. I don't want you to not come, obviously. But I want you to be deadly serious about it. Have you any fish? I want you to accept your fear and your failure. Whatever the Lord is calling you to right now, whatever failure it is in your life, you know that the Lord is laying on your heart. I've got a whole bunch of lists of ones that I haven't even told you about that the Lord's working on me and cast your net out. What I mean is do something different. Do something different. If your finances are in a mess, do something. If your marriage is in a mess, do something. If you have a broken relationship, do something about it. Don't sit here and look at me and be like, eh. ask somebody a question. Do some research. Read the Bible. Get some help. Get in community. Do something. 
It does no good for the Lord to tell them to throw the net if they don't do it. Do something. And as you do it, remember that it's the Lord who provides the fish. It's him who does it. It's not on you to do it right. It's, not on you. it's just on you to obey. That's it. And then watch the Lord provide. And finally, just as much as we bash sweet Peter, he is inconsistent. He is brash. He is unthinking. And he's the rock that the Lord built his church upon. Because in Acts chapter 2, something's going to happen. And the Holy Spirit is going to come down on Peter. And he's going to preach the gospel and 3,000 people are going to come to Jesus. So jump into the water. Cast all the things aside that you think are important and jump in the water and swim to Jesus. Take all the stuff that you bring and just go to him. I don't care if it looks ridiculous. I don't care if someone else thinks it looks ridiculous. Swim to Jesus. What does that look like? Most of the times, honestly, it means you wake up in the morning a little bit earlier and you pray and you read your Bible and you journal and you talk to Jesus and then you go and you serve people. You say, who can I serve today? If you're a mom with a bunch of little kids, most of your time is gonna be spent serving them. If you've got a baby, guess what? They need you. If you've got a job, you're gonna be in contact with other people. Serve those people. If you work in an office, if you work as a fireman, if you work as a, there's all these jobs that have you in contact with people. Go fishing and trust the Lord to do it. Let's pray. Lord, I love you. Walking with you is hard, Jesus, because I don't want to change and I want to be comfortable. And we want you to do things our way. But our way is wrong. And higher are your thoughts than our thoughts. Your ways are higher than our ways. Your ways are good and true and perfect and excellent and ours are not. Lord Jesus, as we come to you this morning, as we listen to your word, as we are convicted in our heart by your Holy Spirit, may we bring our failure to you. I don't know what all of our failures are, Lord. I, I don't know anybody's heart in here. I only know my own. And we bring that failure to you, Lord. We bring what we're not doing well to you. And we ask you to show us where to cast our net. Show us what to do differently. Show us from your word. Show us from the body of Christ. Teach us by your spirit how to walk with you in newness of life. If you have something difficult or painful that you're walking through right now, bring it to the Lord. Bring your failure. Bring your hurt. Jump off the boat. All the security that you have, jump off it and swim to the Lord. You'll find him waiting there. Ready to have breakfast with you. Don't walk away from this moment, but run to the Lord in it. We thank you, Jesus, for your great love for us and your pursuit of us. We love you. Help us to walk with you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.